Well, good morning. Uh, it is such a good morning. I am so glad to be here with you. It has been a long time since last time I was here. Uh, my name is Steve, and I am the director of Go Lake Center, which you've heard a little bit about. And that was awesome. Man, man, that was great. We had a lot of Go Lake uh, representation here. Well done. Uh, they're all gone. All right. No offense taken. Uh, it's so cool to see young people up here because they're too young to say no. So they know how nervous they're going to be, but they have to do it, right? Like, they just have to. Whereas, like, older people know that they can say no. It's like, hey, would you come up and talk? It's like, no, that's not my thing. I'll serve in another area. But a young person, they're like, I guess. And, uh, and they're up here, and they just crushed it. So that was, uh, that was very cool. I just want to say, like, I love hearing the, the cool stories of Go Lake, obviously, because that's what I pour my, my heart and soul into. But I, I want to be really clear that Go Lake is nothing special. Like, there's nothing special about camp. We're just really intentional, and we're careful about how we go through trying to peel back the noise so that you know, we can see and that we can hear God a little bit clearer. Uh, God isn't more present at camp. He's not, he doesn't speak more at camp. We just try and turn down everything else so that it's a little bit more obvious, a little easier to hear God's voice. And that's what you got to hear uh, in these young people is they got to come into, I mean, camp is a very loud place, but it's not a distracted place. It's a focused place. Uh, and it's pretty cool to hear those stories and to, to see the kids and the impact it's having. Um, and we also know our role at camp, which is to be the mountaintop experience, right? We know that camp is not church. We don't try and do what you do. We don't have this, like, this, this steady weekly relationship that, that Pastor Eric gets to have with these kids, right? They come to camp, and we just hit them with the best thing that we have, right? It's like, bam! And then they go back, and, and then they get Eric. Uh, <laughs> but here's the funny thing. When Eric comes to camp, he's like the whoa. So he actually is going to come and speak at camp this summer, which is awesome. And when I told my daughter, who's 15, she was like, the guy from winter camp? I was like, yeah, like the guy with the tattoos? I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, he's so cool. So, uh, so you're, the, you're the mountaintop when you come to camp, and then camp is the mountaintop when your kids get to come uh, to camp. So that's, uh, that's kind of how that works. Um, so, two years ago, two years ago, I gave layoff notices to my entire staff, including myself, uh, because it was obvious that we were going to run out of money, we are going to run out of money really quickly, because all of our spring rentals uh, had to cancel uh, as we hit you know, early March, mid-March. And now, two years later, we're back. We are back. And yes, we have some scars from it but we made, or at least we made it to this far, right? We'll see what next week brings. But as of today, we're back and everything's on track and we're stoked. And it feels like a gift. Uh, it feels like an absolute gift to be here with you in person. Uh, and I'm just so excited to be here this, uh, this morning with you. So thank you. Thanks for inviting me. But also thank you for the support that you have shown the camp, uh, specifically over the last two years, but for the last many years, for the last generations. But the camp could not have survived without you these past two years. Uh, because two years ago, after I gave lay the layoff notices, donations poured in. And the government rolled out the wage subsidy program, 
And at, from camp, we were able to control what we could control, which was we cut all the expenses we could. We cut expenses down to the bone. But because of the wage subsidy and because of donations, we were able to keep our six core uh, full-time or permanent staff uh, still employed. We took hours cuts, we took wage cuts, but we were able to keep the team together. And because we had that team, we were able to jump at every opportunity that was available in the last two years. So we ran Zoom camp, we ran day camp, we ran last minute camp, and then last summer, 2021, we were given five weeks to prepare. Well, we had five weeks notice uh, that we were gonna be able to run camp last summer. But it wasn't just five weeks of preparation because we'd been preparing for the entire year because we were able to keep our staff intact. And that is only because of your generosity and your support. Uh, so last summer, we were able to serve 800 campers and staff, uh, and we could not have done that without you. So thank you. Thank you very much um, for all the ways you've cared for us and shown us that support. Um, and then we, I'm here to report to you that we took that support and we leveraged it to make sure that we were ready for any opportunity as soon as it presented itself. Uh, our goal was that we would be ready within one week. We always had a one-week goal. Whatever the regulations were, whatever the changes were, whatever we were allowed to do, we were going to hit it and hit it with everything we had within one week. And when the opportunity uh, presented itself, we were there and we were ready. And 800 kids came to camp. And 93 of those kids made first-time decisions to follow Jesus, and we could not have done that without you. So thank you very much. Uh, our ministry is just simply an extension of your ministry, and we are so proud to do it uh, out at Go Lake. But wait, there's more. Uh, not only did we run camp last year, but we also finished our 100th anniversary projects. Um, so basically, it started in 2018, and then 2020 was uh, our 100th year of running camp out at Gull Lake. And to mark the occasion, we launched a $2.7 million campaign called the Roan to 100 campaign, and this including, uh, included like replacing all of our cabins, uh, we built a toboggan hill, we added bathrooms to all the cabins, which are very nice, very swanky. Uh, not really, it's just like, it's the bare minimum of what's acceptable now. It's like before there were sheds without uh, bathrooms, now there are cabins with bathrooms. It's very nice. Um, we built a playground, and we were able to pay off the mortgage uh, from the previous campaign from 2007, uh, 2007 which uh, you know, developed the dining hall and the gym and all that. But wait there's even more. So the campaign was $2.7 million. So far we've raised $2.4 million, and most of that's come in during the pandemic. And that means we only have $300,000 still to go to be done. But wait, there's more. I actually have a matching donor who's willing to put up $150,000, so half of what's left. So we are $150,000 away from being done, done, done which is just amazing. So if you are able to give, if you're able to help us get that match, that would be awesome. Your church and, and individuals here have been very generous over the last several years, and I appreciate it. We could not have done it without you. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, you are invited. Third time's a charm, am I right? We are going to celebrate the 100th. This is going to be on June 11, 2022. It is going to happen. Please, Lord, it's going to happen. Uh, and we're very excited. It's going to be this... this big anniversary celebration as we celebrate 102 years of camp at Gull Lake. 
Uh, it's going to have the kind of this old-timey fair feel. There's going to be cotton candy and popcorn and donuts and barbecue and tons of pictures and kind of some of the old artifacts from the last hundred years. It's going to be all of your old camp friends. If you have been to camp, if you have not been to camp, you want to come check it out and see the festivities, uh, you are all invited. Um, yeah, and we'd love to see you there. It's going to be a great time. Uh, so, Pastor Scott mentioned to me that there, there might be a few new faces here that don't know me. So, like I said, I'm the director of, of Go Lake Center. I've been there for 15 years, and we are the camp that is affiliated with your church. Uh, in a lot of ways, you, you own us kind of through, uh, through a denomination. Um, and we've been around for 100 years, like I said. We have camps for kids as young as five and as old as 18. So five-year-olds get to come, five to seven-year-olds come as, and come as a weekend, kind of dip their toes in, it's great. And we have a cool thing for the younger kids where you can actually come as a parent or a grandparent with them if that's their first time coming to camp. And it's a very cool thing. I got to do it with my son. It was this incredible bonding experience where we just got to be at camp as equals. And the cool thing about that camp is you get a cabin leader. So like, if you come as the adult, you have no leadership responsibilities whatsoever. You actually have like, so we're gonna put like, like a 19-year-old in the cabin with you that's like, hey, 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 brush your teeth. Hey, you know, it's lights out. You know, it's all the same, it's all the same rules. Uh, but, because we've had this two-year blip, uh, if you've got kids that are, or grandkids that are older than, you know, kind of five to seven, they've never come to camp before and they'd like to come to camp, but they're nervous, that makes sense to me. Like, how would they not be nervous? It's been a crazy two years. So if they want to come and try it, but they're like, this is overwhelming. You can call us. You can book a time to come out. You can meet some of the staff. You can meet me. We'll give you a tour. Uh, like half of our staff are from this church anyway, so you already know them. But uh, yeah, whatever we can do to make it easy for your kids or your grandkids or your neighbor's kids or your nieces or nephews to come to camp, we want to do that because uh, we think camp's a pretty cool place and we'd love to see them try it out. Uh, everything's available online. You can register. It's available right now. Uh, we're filling up. We're about 65% full already. Uh, but we do still have space in all of our camps. Um, and our theme this summer is better together. Because after two years of not being together, we know and we appreciate how much better it is when we can be together. Um, and that's, that's what we're going to do. So today I'm going to talk about leadership. Uh, but before I kind of dive into that, I want to talk a little bit about leadership at camp. So you've got to see some of our leaders, some of our future leaders. I like they looked at me, right? I was like, and I hope in a couple years I'm going to be an LTD. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Noted. Um, but so at camp, like our camping program is amazing. Like we, we expect to have about 1,200 campers this summer, which is awesome. But our leaders get the best of camp. The camper comes for a weekend or a week, but a leader, an LTD, like Ian described, comes for three weeks four weeks, maybe even five weeks. A summer staff comes out for 10 weeks, maybe even 14 weeks. I have been there for 15 years, so I've gotten the best of it like by far. Nobody's had as good of experience as I've had. Um, but our leaders get the best. And what's really cool, so my oldest now is 15, and she's a level two LTD this summer. And I get to see her kind of, you know, reap the benefit of what camp is, which is a really cool thing. And last summer, after a year and a half of being on her phone, on screens, on Zoom, everything was digital. She came to camp, and she spent five weeks at camp last summer. And we do not allow phones or screens at camp. So she spent five weeks without her phone. And that alone was like worth the price of admission right there. 
parents, grandparents, you've got teenagers. Can I get an amen? Like five weeks with a phone, that's like, what? That's incredible. Um, but it wasn't just that. It was that she went and she got to meet uh, 30 other peers that were on the same Christian journey as her. Uh, and she goes to a public high school. And that was a really big, it's like a safety net, right? It's like a friendship safety net. Uh, you don't get to pick who goes to your high school, but there's like a second set of friends that she had, which was really cool and, um, and just awesome. Um, I also know that, and this is not just with my kids, but kids in general, I've been at camp for 15 years, and there has been just an incredible rise in anxiety in kids. And I think over the last two years, there's just an incredible rise in anxiety for everybody, regardless of your age. And I don't want to you know, kind of demonize technology, but I think there's an obvious correlation between the rise in screen time and the rise of anxiety, uh, especially in our youth. I'm not blaming that on youth because I use my screens just as much as my kids do. But something that's cool is that camp a hundred years ago was set aside as a place to pray and a place to play. And that's still what we're doing now a hundred years later. And the founders of camp had no idea what societal challenges uh, were coming, but they did know that it was important to have an oasis where kids could go and they could connect with Christ and they could connect with each other, and it was worth the investment and it was worth the work that they did 102 years ago. And I think we're seeing the value of that today more than ever. So uh, I'll be at the back after. Send your kids. If you want to come talk to me, uh, that's great. Uh, if you are able, please donate. Uh, our operations need it, our capital needs it, uh, and that's great. You've already given a lot, but um, we have this really cool gift that we were given 100 years ago that people who came before me and before us have stewarded and, and kept going, and now it's our turn to keep it going and to use it. It's a gift that we get to use as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, good. Now, today, I'm going to talk about leadership and cultivating a culture, because that is something that we absolutely obsess about at camp. And it's something I see God doing throughout the Bible, and Jesus doing very specifically in the Gospels. Uh, so leadership is all about creating culture. That's what leaders do. Leaders set and create the culture. So my staff and I at camp, and these young people uh, that we have here, they are the culture creators. Uh, and that is first and foremost their role, to create the culture, to curate the culture, and to cultivate the culture. Uh, and part of curating and cultivating the culture means that we prune the things that do not add to the culture that we are creating. So for example, I've already mentioned this, we don't allow phones at camp because for a week, for one week, we want to focus on the connection with the here and the now right? The friend that's actually standing in front of you. The Messiah that's whispering to your heart. We're intentional about how we shape the camp experience, and part of that is with our rules around phones. And there's a lot of other things as well, but that's just one good example. And we create this experience through our leaders. When we select our leaders, we have three criteria that are absolutely essential. First, they must love Jesus. That's first and foremost. That's our, our, our highest priority there. Second, they have to be kind because they're going to be woken up at 1.30 in the morning by some camper, and they always, always, always have to respond with kindness. And the third thing is they must be teachable, because they don't know nothing about nothing. They're coming at 15 or 18 or 19, 
And I know, and if you've got <laughs> teenagers, if you're a parent or a grandparent, or a preteen actually, um, they know it all, right? So we need to know that, yes, of course you know it all, but we're going to teach you some extra things as well. So as long as they're teachable, that's it. So we're looking for kids that love Jesus, are kind, are teachable, and then that's, that's the basis for everything that how, on how we create our culture. And then from there, we create a space where campus connects with Christ. Um, so you already heard the story, but I want to use that story to talk about culture creation and how Jesus uh, you know, just used that moment and, and created this beautiful culture coming out of that. Uh, so I want to be a bit careful with that because I don't want to minimize Jesus by simply calling him a leader. Right? Jesus obviously was a leader, is a leader, but that's not all he was, and I don't want to make him one-dimensional in that. It's like, oh, Jesus is just a great leader, and that's it. No, no, no. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's God himself. Uh, and when he's teaching, yes, he's talking about leadership, but what he's actually doing is uh, he's establishing and, and, and teaching and communicating what the kingdom of God is like. So I want to look at a story from the Bible. This is an incredible example of culture creation. And I know you heard it, and that was a great reading. Like, it's hard to read the Bible up front. If I had known you'd done that good of a job, next time I'm going to pick something from Paul, where, like, the syntax is, like, super difficult, then we'll see how he does. But you know what? He did pretty good, so we'll, we'll give him that. Uh, no, it was actually a great reading. Uh, but I'm going to read it again. But I want you to experience a little bit different this time. Uh, as I read it, I invite you to imagine that you're there in the room with Jesus, but you're just a fly on the wall, right? You're not engaged in the scene, you're just observing. Can you notice how the people are spaced out? What's it like in the room? How big is it? What's the smell? What's the lighting? Is it midday and are the curtains like drawn? Are there windows? Is it dark? Is it full of light? What's the mood? What's the mood? Okay, so kind of picture that, you're a fly on the wall, and now experience this story. Again, this is uh, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I'm going to read that again, just because I'm going to reference it later. Just remember this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said, si or said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher, 
and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And I think we get desensitized to the popular Bible stories, and I think that's oh, it's too bad. Um, I remember picking my daughter, who's now 15, but when she was like three, uh, coming out of children's church, she came out, she had a coloring sheet that she'd been scribbling on, and the coloring sheet was of Jesus on the cross. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, you just took all the power out of that story for her. Because now, you know, as she's older, she's 15 now, or when she was 12 or 13, and she needs to hear that story, it'll be trite, right? It was the coloring sheet that she scribbled on. And she's like, yeah, 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 I know. I know the story. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I get it, right? No, no, you don't get it. Jesus dying for your sins is a radical thought. It's a radical thought. It's not something that we scribble on. It's a radical thought. And this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet isn't as radical as Jesus dying for our sins, but it's a powerful story. And just because you've heard it before, maybe, don't let that uh, don't let take some of the power out of it for you. This is a powerful teaching moment, and it's a powerful culture creation moment. Uh, and just a couple things kind of to know about the story. So first, know that in this story, washing people's feet wasn't special. Like, that's not an unusual act. That was a normal part of the day. People walked everywhere, and it was dirty, and it was sandy, and they're in bare feet and sandals. It's a lot like camp, actually, right? You're just walking all the time. Nobody's wearing shoes. Everybody's filthy. That's kind of how, the, how it is, right? So, and it's not like they're trying to be filthy. It's just the natural byproduct. There's no cars. You have to walk everywhere. And it's just dirty. There's no sanitation. It's just dirty. So your feet get dirty. So washing your guests' feet was a very normal part of hospitality. But here's where the powerful part comes in. It was the servant's job to wash the feet. Right? There's no honor in this. There's no respect or dignity. Whoever had the lowest ranking washed the feet. Because feet are gross. Right? I mean, feet are gross today. Feet are gross now. Like, my kids make fun of my feet all the time because I always have like at least one black toenail from skiing or hiking or stubbing it or running or whatever, right? Like, I've got gross feet. Imagine 2,000 years ago, before antibiotics, before antifungals, before running water, before waste disposal. Like, feet are gross. You get it. Um, washing feet was for the servant. And not your favorite servant, the other one. Right? Like the one you didn't like. They're the ones that had to wash the feet. So imagine this scene, right? They all arrive at this place where they're going to have supper. And this is just a borrowed guest room, right? Like this isn't Jesus' house. It's not one of the disciples' house. It's somebody else's house. It's kind of this crazy story. And there's no one there to wash their feet. So they sit down, and the meal proceeding starts to begin. And I wonder, and I'm just making this up, I wonder if anyone said anything out loud. Like, they come in the room, they sit down, and then, like, did one of the disciples say, oh, I guess we forgot to bring a servant to wash our feet. Or, ah, I guess we don't get a wash tonight. 
Or did they say nothing? Right? Did they say nothing? Did this happen sometimes? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I actually don't know what was kind of culturally appropriate uh, back then. But I do know what should have happened. One of the disciples should have washed their master's feet. Jesus was their rabbi, right? He was their master. In this relationship, they are the servants. The disciples are the servants. But no one gets up to wash his feet. No one does it. Now, again, I'm making this up. I don't think any of them would have had a problem washing Jesus' feet. I actually think they probably would have been honored by that. What I wonder is if they didn't want to wash the other disciples' feet. I wonder if they thought that they were above that. I wonder if they didn't want to take on the role of the servant amongst the group, right? Because once you do something once, that's your role going forward. So I wonder if there's this awkward moment, right? They're all sitting there, and everybody's looking around like, dude, who's going to wash the feet? And kind of like, where am I in the pecking order here? I'm not the bottom. Who is the bottom? Or I just wonder if they all resign themselves to the fact that, ah, no one's going to wash their feet. My feet are dirty. So be it. Disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. But either way, we do know that none of the disciples got up to do it. So then Jesus, like Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the guest of honor, the master, not to mention it's Jesus, like the Son of God, God himself, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, gets up, takes off his robe, puts on an apron, and begins washing their feet taking on the role of the servant. What incredible humility, right? What an incredible moment that has shaped our Western world in deep ways. This is the beginning of servant leadership. That's a phrase, you might have heard it. It was like huge in the 90s. Uh, this is all rippling out from that moment. Jesus, by humbling himself to the role of the servant, is making a very loud statement to his disciples. And he's saying, you are not special. You are not above anyone else. You do not get special treatment. You matter. You are unique. You're an individual, but you're not better than anyone else. Your job is to serve, just like my job is to serve. You are not equal to me, me being Jesus. I am your master, and I am serving you. Now go and follow my example serve one another. That's a powerful story. That's a powerful moment. Now, I've seen this uh, acted out in ways that, as the youth call, are totally cringy, right? Like, I've seen church leaders completely miss the mark on this by bringing people up on stage so that they can make, you know, this really public display of washing somebody else's feet in front of the crowd, right? So that the crowd can see just how humble the pastor is or the spiritual leader is. You know, just how much they are like Jesus. Like, could you imagine if I was like, okay, everybody's going to be an LTD this summer. Come on up. Let, let me wash your feet. I want to show, show everyone here just how humble I am. First off, your feet are clean, right? They're already clean. These aren't gross, disgusting feet that have been traveling everywhere. Second, that's awkward. Like, this is not, like, 
Kate, if I was like to invite you up, that'd be a weird moment. I can't imagine you'd be like, yes, please, let's do this. My feet are filthy. Come wash them. You'd be like, ugh, right? It's a weird power dynamic there. I'm actually the one with power, not Kate, in this situation, right? And this, whoever washed the feet was the servant. Um, now, I have actually seen this done in really lovely ways, like at a wedding where the bride and groom will wash each other's feet as this act of like of submission and, and respect and, and dignity for the other. I think that's cool. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is people in power trying to show off this fake humility in a way that just isn't right, because that's not what this is about. Uh, I bring this up because Jesus is teaching a critical message about the kingdom of God. This actually isn't about feet. It's not about washing feet. He's talking about what it means to be a follower of him. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to take on the role of the servant. That's the point. And that's the example he set before us. And sadly, today, we see that this example is not being followed. Uh, we see it not followed countless times in the church, and we're seeing it splash across the headlines with regularity. Uh, and I don't say this, you know, to throw rocks from within my glass house, right? But to notice the temptations that I have in my life and be reminded of the example that Jesus taught us. I personally am tempted all the time to think that I am very special uh, and that uh, you know, I am very important and very talented and, and really called by God you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and there's work that only I can do. right? I've got this very special set of skills and placement and all that, uh, so I, I, I can't do these other things. And here's the thing, part of that actually is true. Right? Part of that is true. I have been given a position with responsibilities and tasks, and, and it would be actually poor stewardship for me to, to renege on some of the responsibilities that I have. But the point, the key here, is that that does not exclude me from the role, and more importantly, the mindset of being a servant. Right? Just as it did not exclude Jesus from the role of being a servant as well. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this past year, and it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, uh, which was this mega church in Seattle, and it was passed by a guy named Mark Driscoll. It's this fascinating podcast. It's hard to listen to, and it because it's basically about what happens when a Christian leader loses their servant heart. Um, it's it was an important reminder for me. It was good for me to listen to, and it was an important reminder that we are all called to serve. That all of us are card, called to serve and have a servant's heart. Um, in the podcast, there was a snippet. It was kind of a throwaway little thing. It was kind of right in the middle. Uh, and so long podcast, like 12 episodes, something like that. And there was a little snippet right in the middle from a guy named Andy Crouch. And he was talking about Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. And he was talking about the comparisons that can be made between the two. One being that they were two of the most famous and recognized women uh, of the 90s, right? Like of the whole world, they were two of the most uh, recognizable women. And they both did charitable work, right? They both had their causes. And they both had influence. And of course, they died at uh, you know, about the same time, which kind of forever uh, pulled them together. But they had utterly different paths to celebrity and influence, right? How Princess Diana got to where she was and how Mother Teresa got to where she was, totally different. And Andy Crouch points out that it's fascinating that almost everyone wanted to be like Princess Diana. But no one can be like Princess Diana. There's only one Diana, 
right? There's only one person who gets to marry the Prince of Wales. There's only one person that's that pretty, that's that charismatic, that's that, that's that well positioned. And, spoiler it's not you. It's not you. Not even you, Eric. You're close, but it's not you. Very close. Still no. None of you are a princess. None of you are going to be a princess. You just aren't, right? Period. You cannot do what Princess Diana did. You cannot be her. But any of you can be like Mother Teresa. And this is the line he said that especially hit me. He said, because all Mother Teresa is, is a saint. And any of us can be saints if we open ourselves to Jesus. All she is is a saint, and any of us can be saints if we open ourselves to Jesus. And that hits me. The simplicity of it, right? Also, the, like the flippancy of it. Anyone can be a saint? Like, that's crazy. But also the truth of it. No, it's not crazy. The path to being a saint is simple. It only requires us to open ourselves to Jesus. Any of us can be a saint. Are we willing to open ourselves to Jesus? Uh, I, have a, I have a friend Follow me with this. So I have a friend whose brother's ex-wife, so we're talking about my friend's brother's ex-wife, right? So my friend's ex-sister-in-law is having, that's actually a really sad story. Uh, so I kind of made a fun of the path to get there, but this person is having devastating declining physical and mental health issues because of alcohol abuse. It's been a long story and it's very difficult and it's a really bad situation. And this person has become just incredibly difficult. They're difficult to be around. She's mean. She's confused. She isn't able to care for herself. And she's now hospitalized and has been for a while. Uh, but she's in denial about it. And she's very upset that she's in this situation. And just, you know, it's, it's just, it's rough. It's a rough situation. But it doesn't matter how she feels about it. She's getting evicted, right? And she's in denial about being evicted, but it's, it's this whole mess, and she's not doing anything about it because she's in denial. It's a messy situation. So my friend, who this person is their ex-sister-in-law. This isn't somebody that's in their, in their life anymore. My friend is choosing to have them be in their life. So my friend, after much verbal abuse from this person, got the keys to her place and moved all of her possessions into storage and then cleaned the place to fulfill her sister's or her ex-sister-in-law's obligation to the landlord. She did not have to do this. There was no expectation that she did this. But she looked around and said, there's no one else to do this. And this is the person that's hurting. She did this as an act of love and an act of service, both to her ex-sister-in-law, but also to the landlord, who would have been stuck with it otherwise. That's tough work. That is not the work of a princess. That is the work of a saint. Jesus showed us how to do the work of a saint. Jesus set the example and the expectation that we will go and be saints in the world around us. Now, this is not meant to be a burden. This is not meant to add more work to your life. This is not like, oh, great, Another item on my to-do list. Now I need to go wash these feet this week too, if I wasn't busy enough. This is simply an invitation to remind you of the culture that you are being welcomed into by Christ. 
a culture in which no one is better or above anyone else, a culture in which we all serve each other, a culture in which the Lord of all is willing to do the work of a servant. So will you participate in that culture? Will you cultivate that culture? One last thought, and I promise I'm done. If you can, I want you to go back to that room, back to the room where Jesus was, where the disciples were. I want you to go back and imagine that room. Imagine the room, the meal is just about to be served, but this time, I do not want you to imagine that you're a fly on the wall. Imagine that you're there. You're sitting with them. You're amongst the group. You're with the disciples. You were one of them. And as one of them, it's been a long day. And you were excited for this special meal. As you're sitting there, what do you think Jesus would have done when he saw you? When he looked around the room and he saw you sitting there with the others, what would he have done? I'll tell you what he would have done. He would have washed your feet. You're dirty, you're tired, you're unclean, unwashed, well-used feet. He would have held them in his hand. He would have dipped them in the cleansing water, rubbed them with the cloth, and dried them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. It was his last supper, and he would have loved you as his own to the end. So today, in the midst of whatever journey you're on, whether whatever has made you tired and dirty and sore, imagine that as you sit down to have a meal, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all, takes off his robe, puts on an apron, kneels beside you, and washes your feet today. What an intimate act of care for you. He does this because he loves you. He loves you to the end. Are you able to receive this love? Now go and do the same for others. Let me pray for us. Holy God, you are, oh God, I love you so much. God, you are so much. And your, your example and your, your humility and your humbleness and your path forward is so beautiful. God, I pray for us that we would have soft hearts, that you are constantly molding and teaching and shaping. God, may we be like you in every way that you can make us. God, I thank you so much for this church and the blessing that they already are. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus, who was and is and is to come. Amen.